I love the idea of Robert yeah. striding in, blood still dripping from his sword. He's just finished fighting in the river and he strides in and he goes, well, you can take down the fucking skulls for a start. How was the date, Sansa? Well, um, the moment he got savaged by a wolf, that was, uh, that <laughs> so, was a low that, point. That was definitely a low point. Allow me to explain to you exactly what's going on. I'm yeah. going to ask the questions yeah. that the yeah. audience have in their heads because they need this kind of shit. <laughs> Welcome to episode two of Shite Live Royals coverage of Game of Thrones. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And have we got a treat for you as we journey down the King's Road. <laughs> yeah, so um so this is if you're coming to this cast for the first time, this is specifically about the, the book, uh, Game of Thrones. But we do make reference to the T V series as well. Um so, you know, there are a group of people who are reading along with us and we basically set um, a portion of the book aside every week and you read up to the point where we suggest and then we do the podcast on it. So this time we are going from page, it looks like 82 to about 156 if, you, if you're reading the, the HarperCollins paperback. Um, that is, it's a chapter, the chapter we're starting on here is about uh, Tyrion and his rather complicated relationship with his uh, family. And um, and then we're going to end... Well, you'll find out. Yeah. Um, enough of this admin stuff. Shall we get straight to it? Let's do it to it. So, the first chapter of this section, Tyrion. And uh, we, we join Tyrion wandering around and meeting his... Uh, hang on a minute. His nephew, Joffrey, the prince... Mm. And we, we get a feel for this sort of complicated relationship between the two. Joffrey, we haven't seen a lot of Joffrey so far, but he seems to carry himself like, a, you know, the sort of entitled princeling um, sort yeah. of character. And Tyrion clearly has a sort of weird low status in the family, but a high status because he is a, an acknowledged member of the family. Yeah. And so it's interesting that that hasn't turned Tyrion into a sort of kind of muling, ducking, creeping kind of coward. It has turned yeah. him into the kind of person with his, his, a strong enough moral vision to look at his nephew, the future king of the realm, and be like, you're a tool. You, <laughs> you're a wrong and you are. And I'm going to tell yeah. you about it and tell you why. And it's interesting that what, what, it, what, what it really is, in a sense, is the firm hand in parenting, which the, which, you know, King Robert has clearly never given his son. It also shows uh, Tyrion's sort of aptitude for politics as well, because he's basically yeah. saying to Joffrey, he's basically saying to Joffrey, look, um, you've got to go and offer your sympathy to the Starks because Bran's fallen out of this window. It doesn't matter if, you know, you genuinely feel sympathy or not. It's um, it's it's important is, for appearances. This is what you do. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is how you play the game. And it's, it's actually a bit... If Joffrey has the sort of... Um, way about him to actually take it on board it's actually quite a, a good lesson that his, uh, his uncle's trying to teach him here one of the reasons that Tyrion's such a gold-plated character is that he's part of a family who are abhorrent really <laughs> some of the time and you know we've, ju we've just had the you know the 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 deeply disturbing insight into the relationship between his two older siblings the yeah. golden kids um and yet Tyrion is this kind of, like, he has a moral compass. 
and gives advice and cares about his family and is something close to sainthood to give a crap about Lannisters, I think. <laughs> well, there's also um, a bit later in the chapter, he sits down for breakfast with his um, with Jamie and Cersei, his, two, you know, his, his brother and his sister. And um, again there... There's a, it's strange. You do get a sense that he is tied to the family, and he does does care about it. I think he, I think he cares about Jamie. Maybe not so much about Cersei, who quite clearly loathes him. But um, <laughs> she's but not the, shy, is she, about that? It, no. <laughs> but there's also a sense here that Tyrion knows that there's more to this brand falling from the window than is being laid on, because they're saying he just uh, fell, and obviously, <laughs> as we saw in the in the last bit. Um, Jamie actually pushed Bran out the window. And Tyrion's yeah. kind of saying, oh, I'd be quite interested to see what he says when he wakes up, almost with a little grin on his face. And you get a sense of how Tyrion's character does enjoy the conflict and he enjoys <laughs> seeing these, you know, these... The, he, he, really, he really is a real political animal. He loves the yeah. politics around it. Yeah, and he yeah, loves yeah. seeing how things play out, even to the extent where it could damage his family. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's true. And just, there's something very younger brother in that as well, isn't there? Just sort, of, <laughs> just exacerbated by the fact that he's, you know, he's like he's he's his his physical stature is mocked by the rest of his family. Just that sort of cheeky. Oh, wonder what he'll have to say for himself when he wakes up, eh? <laughs> yeah. When he wakes yeah. up. Any any thoughts, Jamie? Yeah, Cersei. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like the 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 more grown up equivalent of like when you're younger, when you like. If you've got a younger brother, which I have, if like you you broke something, and your brother's comes, and goes, oh, you're gonna get in trouble. Now. <laughs> oh, wait till one finds did out. You, oh, your dad's was... gonna be angry. <laughs> That's exactly it, isn't it? it when um in in our house and and when we were growing up, like around us, the the stock in in the stock phrase for that was, um, <laughs> you've yeah. done it now. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not even a word, is it? It's yeah, just kind it's just, of a noise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I find that hilarious, and that's exactly what he's doing here, but with more kind yeah. of, with more, more sort of political nouns as gold. Yeah. And um, there's quite a lot of uh, th- this this section actually that we're covering today does take a bit of time just to explore relationships, really, and we see that in Tyrion and his family in this chapter. The next chapter is from John's point of view, and um, he's visiting Bran who's obviously, uh, it seems to be in some kind of, it looks like he's in a coma in in his bedroom. And mm. uh, Caitlin's there, Ned's wife, and uh, sort of, obviously, John's dad's wife, but not John's mum. Yeah. You know. So, and she qu- quite obviously despises John. And yeah. um, to the point where she says, um, it should have been you, um, referring to what happened to Bran. She's basically saying, of all the Stark children, I wish that you were the one who ended up in this horrible position. Which is quite a... I mean, what we've seen of Caitlin so far, she seems quite a likeable character, but there is this this coldness to her, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, and... and, and I mean, this this reminds me of when, um, when we first watched uh, uh, Game of Thrones... And in the mm. TV series, the first episode, they established quite early on with a, 
a, a glance between Caitlin and John, which clearly carries a lot of emotion. I was watching mm. it with you, and I just totally misinterpreted that. I was like, oh, are they going to do a bit of a salsa, salsa? <laughs> <laughs> you were like, you just, it was really funny because you were trying so hard not to crack up and ruin it for me. <laughs> just like, I couldn't begin to tell you how wrong you are. Just, just carry on watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Of all the of all the many things that glance is in the series, sexual tension isn't one. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, and I kind of, I I think it's much much more nuanced in the book actually than in the TV series, and I like that a lot because yeah, because you can understand why it would be a kind of a difficult thing. Uh, you know, like for the for the character of Caitlin to kind of experience early in the marriage, arranged marriage, doesn't really know her husband, then he comes back with a bastard child, you know, like, mm. um, and to an extent, John's like the thorn in the middle of the wound. Even if the rest of the wound is kind of healed, he's still there reminding her yeah. of this much more kind of insecure time. Yeah. And, and in the book, it's handled kind of, you get a lot more kind of, you know, uh, background to it and insight to it whereas in the t- it's quite difficult in the tv series to do like kind of two people not talking to one another and what that yeah. means because it's just two people not talking to one another that's very easy you just film them not talking to one another but yeah. you can't get inside their heads whereas here you get a sense of caitlin as this very conflicted you know deeply loves her husband um deeply loves her children and he's, he's almost kind of disgusted with herself in a sense mm. for not loving for not being able to bring herself to love this kid who was brought into her home sort of thing, but also would be disgusted with herself if she ever started to. You know, so yeah. she's kind of damned if she does, damned if she doesn't, I think. Yeah, th- this this reluctance, this sort of almost, um, I don't know, instinctive reluctance not to forgive and um, to hold a grudge, do you think that's a, a strength or a character flaw of Caitlin's? <sighs> two sides of the same coin isn't it really it's a flaw which comes from the fact that in other ways she's very very strong you know yeah. there's no she's nobody's kind of shrinking violet you know she doesn't blow whichever way the wind is blowing she makes decisions and she goes with them mm. um which is why she's such a great fantastic character, one of many many absolutely brilliant female characters in this book um mm. but it, you know it does mean that in in uh, you know, in moments like this, she literally can't bring herself to be civil, even to this fourteen-year-old who's been yeah. in her family since he was born. You know. Yeah. We, we also have a, a bit of uh, a bit more of uh, John and Aya. Um, we we saw these two together in the last section. Um, and well, yeah, I was going to say something about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've got quite a close friendship because obviously she's sort of he's a bit removed because of his bastard status and she's yeah. the sort of runs the runty runs the, she's not the youngest but she's the bit of the black sheep of the family isn't she she's not what people expect a girl to be in this society yeah which is why again she's a fantastic character i just flipping love the character of aria like because yeah. she's so childish and kind of there's a great deal of abandon in the fact that she just doesn't fucking want to learn how to fucking sew and i'm going to use a fucking <laughs> sword so fuck the lot of you i just yeah. like i just <laughs> i love that um but it's dead interesting that um george rr yeah. martin are we on first name terms yet do you think um yeah yeah all right george georgie 
How about how about how about, how about exactly the G man? Sure, the G man. <laughs> Here we go. The G man. That's who he is from now on. <laughs> the G man. Yeah, let's right, call him so, the G man. So the G man. I'm going to drop that into sentences and then remember what I was saying. Like it's <laughs> ludicrous. Anyway, the G man when he's writing this. Um, yeah, yeah. It like goes out of his way to put all these physical cues into their like. You know, he's like John and Arya look like each other. They have this apparently, apparently Ned, not an attractive man, got a face a bit like a horse. It says <laughs> yeah. and these these his two children kind of take after him, um, yeah. whereas all the other kids apparently look much more like Caitlin with the kind of uh, reddish hair and and blue eyes and so on. Yeah, and um, uh, so it's, again, it's another way that the book gives you a kind of a little little twist that the TV series really can't. In saying yeah. explicitly, these two people are, you know, openly resemble their father. Yeah. And that makes them ugly and that gives them a bond. <laughs> yeah. Um, also in this, uh, another little um, window into just how casually violent a society this is. Um, I, uh, obviously, still a little girl, um, the leaving pre- present that John selects to give her is a deadly weapon. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> It's just like a, a light version of a sword. It's sort of like it made me think of a like a rapier or a you mm-hmm. know like a three musketeer yeah. style sword, yeah. um, similar to that in terms of the the thickness of the blade. And mm. she calls it needle. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful scene, isn't it? Because it, it it is. There's a really heartwarming relationship between John and Arya, and this kind of you know outcast kid who still really wants, really has this kind of affection for somebody younger than him you know he hasn't become this horrible bitter twisted individual really gives a crap about his younger sister that's beautiful to see it's beautiful to see this rather alienated little girl kind of able to be vulnerable with somebody who she feel kind of gets her and the whole the whole relationship the whole beautiful miraculous wonderful relationship is summed up by him sitting her down uh, and doing the sort of westeros equivalent of of just kind of tenderly sitting her down and saying, look, one day you, you're going to need this. And just like <laughs> whacking an AK-47 on the table. <laughs> <laughs> thunk. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just what I wanted. <laughs> now don't tell mum and dad because they were probably going to get you one for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's move to the next chapter. This is uh, Daenerys one. Mm. And uh, it's the it's their wedding. Uh, she's getting married to uh, Carl Drogo, who we've established is not a IT technician from Barnsley. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's a big badass barbarian. I see. Um, in my head, though, he's Carl Carl from IT. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this, I mean, this is a. Uh, I mean, if we thought the uh, feast at Winterfell was quite raucous, uh, this really puts it to shame. There's a some quite amazing things that go on, including a number of deaths, yeah. um, which are just seen as sort of the normal, normal way of things. Yeah. Um, you, I remember when we watched this, you were a bit disappointed with this. You were like, oh, here we go again, Dan. Here comes the stereotypical barbarian feast. Yeah, well, and, I think... Uh, how, how do you feel about it now? Well, I, I now, I think looking back, if I'd have known the kind of 
light touch that was going to be brought to a lot of the plotting and the characterization, I wouldn't have been quite so quick to assume that this was just lazy ass stereotyping of brown people. But to a yeah. certain extent, I still think that's what it is in the TV series. It's like kind of, mm. look, this is how the white people party, and it's a bit brutal, but you know, everybody kind of understands that. This is how the brown people party, and they're going to kill people. Do you know, like, there, there mm. is still an extent to which I'm a bit like. I mean, you can get away with it in a book because you're not obliged to draw parallels between kind of races and and uh, and like you know uh, features and and cultures and and the whole business yeah. of that, which you which you have to address in a TV series because you're presenting actors from our world as yeah. you know consistent consistent members of a certain ethnic group in, in, a, in a, a completely other world so you can't really get away from the comparison that you're inviting whereas in the book there's really nothing to suggest you know and, and if there was the book would be monstrous you know there's really nothing to suggest that this is supposed to be a kind of thinly veiled allegory or parody of a particular kind of way of doing things hmm. um, yeah so it didn't bother me nearly as much in the book but that's because again the book can the book isn't obliged to kind of go to places that a TV series can't avoid going. Yeah. Um, Daenerys gets a, a lot of presents, including uh, three antique dragon eggs. As you um, do. Which is, yeah, whatever, what every Westerosi girl wants. Um, and, uh, and, and a horse. Uh, and she loves, she absolutely loves the horse. It's yeah. um, sort of the first moment where she gets a bit of freedom, to be honest, because she's effectively just been portrayed as almost like a, a slave so far. She's just pretty much owned by her brother who's using her in a sort of bargaining chip to get himself an army to take back Westeros. And um, this is the first chance she gets to have a taste a little bit of freedom. And uh, she it's sort of it's the one spark of pure joy in an otherwise wretched sort of day for her, really, because she just spends it in terrible fear there's this massive bloke who she's suddenly married to who yeah. doesn't even speak the same language and yeah. is into all these particularly savage customs yeah um and and then there's a brother who couldn't give a toss what happens to her as long as he gets his army and you just really get this sense of a of someone who's just she's alone and so vulnerable yeah yeah and and again it's incredibly well sketched um I, I I tell you actually the thing that like sorry this is a horrible way to respond to like because you you've really gone into the emotional heart of the scene and I and I do love it for that reason but to be honest with you the thing that I mostly took away from this scene was and I kind of thought this when I was watching the TV series as well they spent a lot of time kind of playing up the dragon's eggs you know for reasons yeah. which become clear later um, yeah but but at that point I was like why is that such a big like can you like that? That would seem to me to be the archetypal shit Christmas present, like <laughs> like Ooh, dragon like, eggs. Oh, like rocks. oh, eggs. <laughs> so stones then, particularly interesting coloured stones. They are three big stones. Three big. How stones. did you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, you know, presumably they have more resonance for her than they would for me because she, you know, she's supposed to be blood of the dragon and, you know, dragons are very significant. Actually, no, tell yeah. you what, actually, that, that reminds me. One of the other cool things about this book is that it brings out far more what the dragons were to the previous yeah. dynasty. It's never really clear yeah. in the TV series why it's a big deal. I mean, I suppose it's just a big deal 
well, I, I, spoilers, I suppose. I shouldn't talk about it. But, like, why the idea of dragons is a big deal, except the fact yeah. that dragons, you know, they're ace. Uh, dragons. Well, yeah, I think it's, it's not a spoiler to say, you know, that the reason why they're a big deal, they're these uh, mythical creatures, as they are in medieval history, and in, you know, real medieval history. Mm. They're these mythical creatures that um, there is actually, in this world, um, in Westeros, evidence that they existed. We see a bit later on, Tyrion goes down, uh, remembers going down to the dungeon to see the, the skeletons of the dragons. But they, they all disappeared long ago. And, um, you know, it, they're almost legend now. And they just cast this shadow over everything that happens um, because they were... Uh, I, think I mean, this is, again, it's going into this Tyrion chapter in a couple of chapters' time here, where he remembers this battle where... They effectively were the difference between a very small army and a very large army, but the small army had these these three dragons, and they just absolutely uh, wiped the floor with the other army. Yeah, and and it's just it's just the key. There was, I suppose, the dragons were this key to power, to ultimate power, which has suddenly disappeared yeah. and has just left this power vacuum, which is where you get the political problems in Westeros from. Yeah, and. Um... And uh, it only just occurs to me when you put it that way, but, you, but you're absolutely right. What this is, is somehow he's managed to create a world in which the nuclear bomb has been invented and then uninvented. So yeah, you can, yeah, exactly. You yeah. can remember, like, having this astonishing, disproportionate, you know, nine orders of magnitude greater power at your disposal, mm. and then it went away. And and you can just see it, can't you? Like nuclear, nuclear, the you know the power of a nuclear bomb. If it were to be uninvented, and you know we could only wish for such a wonderful thing, were um, you know people, it would become myth and legend. You know, it would become mm. you know the great Eisenhower with his ability to to rain fire from the skies and so on. You know, it would be that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think that's a really interesting kind of angle on it like once we have this super weapon now we're back to playing with swords you know yeah uh the other thing only other thing to mention the daenerys chapter is the end um where there's this it's sort of the wedding night um sex scene yeah and uh i mean it's a very uncomfortable scene in both um but it's 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 told slightly differently isn't it yeah and i do you know what? Actually, I think this is about the the horrible line. So this this episode and this bit of the book is Daenerys really just cops for a lot of horrible treatment, mm. and um, and one of the ways that kind of manifests itself is um, uh, um, Viserys says something like, um, you know, I I would let I would let all four thousand of these men fuck you and their horses too, and it's just it's just mm. horrible words and in the tv series what that gives you is a sense of foreboding it may you're like yeah. kind of oh fuck this is just what a horrible situation she you know it just it 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 serves to bolster your awareness that it's a horrible horrible situation whereas in the book yeah. it's a much more directly sort of violent thing you know like it's it, yeah. it plays as a it plays as like as the the verbal slap to the face it was supposed to be okay. Let's uh, let's let's put a pin in that and move on. Yeah. Um, next up, uh, another Ned chapter. Yeah. And 
this is a basically him and they're on the way down to King's Landing now, and he rides off with Rob. Uh, not, sorry, he rides off with Robert yeah. in the um, sort of an early morning sort of ride. Yeah, and it's obvious that this is just cover for the king to get Ned on his own away from other people who can listen so they can have a frank like yeah. chat about what's going on without anybody listening in and you get I, I really got this sense of uh, the king being under severe he's under pressure and he doesn't know who's trust anymore and he's he just I get, you get the sense of a a, a guy who's being propped up and, and yeah. his powers kind of waned and he he he's getting increasingly trapped, and that is maybe that is why he's he's turning to to drink and you know debauchery because yeah, yeah. he's just he's just trapped. He's this once really strong uh, leader yeah. who has, has suddenly found he's got no one who. Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's he's not in in actually in this sense he's kind of the opposite of Tyrion. Like he kicks ass in battle, but he's not a political mm. animal. He hates. He, he's clearly like confused and disquieted by politics, so he just wants everybody to be out in front of him so he can get his hammer out and yeah. smash him to bits. Um, and so, he, so in a way, he harks back to it. He goes and he gets his old sort of fighting buddy Ned and brings mm. him brings him down south into a place which Ned has previously and very accurately described as a nest of vipers. And yeah. um, and just sort of, and to be honest with you, I would expect my response to a character doing that sort of thing to be like, "Oh, don't be so selfish," you know. But actually, yeah. he was. I I found that response more overwhelmed by a feeling that I just felt really sorry for him. Like imagine yeah. that. Like you are, you're the most powerful person in the country apparently, but you feel utterly alone, and you're yeah. married with several kids, and you feel utterly alone. And your right-hand yeah. man has just died suddenly and in not at all suspicious circumstances. <laughs> and you are alone. And so there's there's almost something plaintive. For all the fact that he does all of this, I'm your king and you'll do as I tell you. You know, yeah. there's something plaintive almost in going back to his going back to his best mate from when he was in his 20s and going like, I'm fucked. Yeah. And I, th- I thought there was something really melancholy in that. Yeah, and I think it is a plea because, I mean... If Ned says no, if Ned says no, I'm, I can't come. I, I can't do it. I've got to stay. I'm, you know, this is where I belong in the north. What does he do? Yeah. I mean, he can I mean, because it, because he can't accept that as a. You know, he wouldn't be able to say, "Oh, okay," and then trudge off back down to King's Landing. Yeah, you'd look like a twat. You'd have, to you'd, you'd have seven weeks on a horse, looking like a twat. Yeah. So he'd have to. Uh, you know, he'd have to do some form of retribution, which may probably end up with Ned's head on a spike, and then he's an even then he he's, he's an even, even more alone situation because yeah. his one ally is gone. So this is a plea, really, even behind the bluster and behind the power that he does still wield. Yeah, it is a kind of desperate. You know, if you don't help me, no one's going to help me. Yeah, and I think Ned does see that. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why he goes when he actually agrees to come down yeah. it's interesting that for all how close they, they are and were um, the last time they had a real falling out um, was immediately after the battle um, which put Robert on the throne yeah. and um, and it was over the um, the Lannisters basically killed um, 
the two the two heirs to the throne. Um, obviously, there's the um, r- relations of Daenerys, mm. and um, and he and Robert was fine with it. Yeah, he was like, "This is this is war, and this is what happens." And when um, when Ned says that they were just children, he says, "I don't see children. I just see that they were dragon spawn." And he, he, yeah. so he sees them as less than human. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it's partly because he's obviously more ruthless than Ned, and also he there's there's this whole thing with Rhaegar, which is Daenerys's brother, um, who is it brother or uncle? Brother, I think, older brother. Brother. Elder brother, yeah, who was the sort of darling prince of, of that family yeah. and was killed by Robert in battle. And it was because he, Robert says here, that he he raped uh, Ned's sister yeah. numerous on numerous occasions. So that is why there's this unbelievable fury and hatred. Yeah. Because, because it, that, was the, that was the woman he was in love with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This whole thing about the fall of the previous dynasty and how Robert came to be king and um, and so on it is played for all it's worth and played really smartly in that you only really hear glimpses of it in very realistic conversation between two mm. people who know what happened. So they don't, they don't do that thing that you often get in Hollywood shows where it's like kind of, allow me to explain to you exactly what's going on. I'm <laughs> going to ask the questions yeah, that the yeah. audience have in their heads because they need this kind of shit. <laughs> um you know, people, they're just kind of like, yeah, man, it was fucked up what happened to your sister sort of thing, you know. And they don't say, yeah. yes, it's really bad to have such and such, such and such, such, you know, kind of happen. Like, it just, you know, they talk about it in a very yeah. realistic way. Um, but, nonetheless, and, I, I'm, and I'm not saying that it, it was that was a bad choice. I think it's a really smart choice, and it really shows the G-man's, he's chops as a writer in that he's got the stones to basically write a whole story of of, of kingship and betrayal and so on and then come in halfway through it you know what i mean because because we're talking about a a game of thrones you know there's been this whole climactic campaign and battle and so on um earlier on in this whole in this whole thing you know robert won the game of thrones and and yeah. and what we see here is you know is the kind of the fact that the Game of Thrones is never really won. It just kind of it just keeps rolling, and you either run to keep up, or you get, you know, you get ground beneath its wheels. But yeah. there's a bit of me that really wants to know what happened. That I want prequels is what I want. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that because it is revealed in sort of just snaps of conversation, um, it, you get. You thought it's almost like a bit of a, a mystery novel or a detective novel oh, because yeah. you're, um, you you get sort of one side of it told in an offhand. You know, this is you know, remember when this happened, and then later on, you, when you get a different person's memory of it. So it was, it's I I love it that kind of thing because it is like reading history. Um, oh, and yeah. it, it makes the book feel like a history because you get one side, you get obviously one interpretation and then a bit a bit further along you you stumble across another interpretation which makes you question what you initially believed about what happened yeah yeah actually that's that's extremely true and i think that's that's again that's a sign of really good writing isn't it that he's got he's he, yeah. you don't have one protagonist you've got 12 of the buggers <laughs> and these yeah. protagonists do not always agree with each other about what the right thing is to do or are often you know in many scenes they are each other's enemies and you yeah. care about them both, um, which yeah. is which is 
much more true to how you have to read history than picking a good guy and picking a bad guy and just reading it like a thriller, hoping that the good guys win and knowing that yeah. they will. You know, it's much more, yeah. everything's much more up in the air. We move on to Tyrion. I mean, we mentioned this. He, he's, he's reflecting, he's reading about dragons um, as he's on his way up to the wall with, um, with the, you know, with John and Benjamin Stark and the Night's Watch. And um, he's reading about these dragons. And as we said, he remembers walking down into the, the, the dungeons to, to look at the, the skulls that used to adorn the halls when the Targaryens were in power. Mm. And when Robert became king, he got rid of, he moved them down to the, Basically, you know, at the basement yeah. to um, to make things look a bit more, uh, so it's a bit less toothy. In the, uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. In the <laughs> less toothy. I love the idea of Robert yeah. striding in, blood still dripping from his sword. <laughs> he's just finished fighting in the river, and he strides in, and he goes, "Well, you can take down the fucking skulls for a start. Far too toothy, near it, <laughs> Right. First of all, tapestries. Second of all. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think before yeah. the matters of the state, let's get the room sorted out. Otherwise, I just can't work without the right mood. Yeah. Well, I, I do think actually, um, it, it is a, it is an important statement he makes, though, because the the dragons are this are the symbol of power for the old house, aren't they? Mm. And also, it's all wrapped up in this um, rather macabre history of the Targaryens and the madness and yeah, the yeah. Um, tyranny, which they often ruled with. Because they had this this power, yeah. and it's sort of it's clearing all that out and making a statement of you know this is things are going to be different. Well, I mean, you, I, I, it's I dare say you know you can go looking for uh, for the real kind of echoes of, uh, of truthful storytelling and that, but I still really love the idea of Robert Baratheon becoming king. Because he's actually a frustrated interior designer, and his first impulse <laughs> on winning power in this in this viper's nest of a nation, getting there and going, finally I can decorate the way I wanted to. Now let's put up some stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to have an accent war. Mirror to improve Imagine doing that whole throne room with just the one wall down the left side in like teal. <laughs> 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 that was that yeah. would be absolutely incredible. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. Although, do you know? I mean, the whole thing about taking the skulls down and putting them down in a—why not crush them? I mean, I'm you know, mm, like I've been, yeah. uh, you know, I'm thinking about other other kind of sweeping power plays and and what happens to history in their aftermath. And generally speaking, yeah. they just you know erase the history of the previous. Whoever, whoever's been there and they kind of almost declare a year zero and that's you know that's yeah. you know maybe i think that's one of that's that's more of a modern age thing perhaps but i do wonder why he hasn't just had him crushed because isn't he just hasn't isn't he yeah. just then sitting on a room full of very very potent symbols just waiting to be yeah. dragged out you know the moment that it's politically expedient for for somebody dragonborn to be on the throne again um, yeah it does suggest, especially how seeing how keen he is to um, to wipe out what remains of that line. Yeah, which, which is what actually we, we we just about we should have said in the in the last chapter. That's it causes another argument between Ned and um, and Robert. Honestly, they're, they're sort they're of like, rehashing the old they're argument. They're like an old couple, is, aren't they? He wants Daenerys dead. Sorry, Gwen. They're like an old couple, aren't they? They will keep having these same <laughs> arguments over and over and over again. 
I, I like the idea of Robert Baratheon as a as a sort of henpecked, henpecked spouse, <laughs> and and frustrated interior designer before he's this kind of badass <laughs> war machine. <laughs> um, okay, but back to Tyrion. He's um, so he's interrupted from his reading uh, by a rather curious John, who I think John's quite drawn to Tyrion, mm. um, and. Uh, he actually, the, the he ends up in in this. But Tyrion offends John like, once again. He's got a knack for doing that, <laughs> and um, but he ends up on his back with uh, with Snow, John's direwolf, sort of threatening yeah. him. And Tyrion's sort of like, get him off me. And John kind of almost toys with him. He sort of, you know, he does that kind of thing. Was oh, ask nicely, and you get the sense of this sort of teenage little bit of teenage petulance yeah. from John. Teen, but teenage um, petulance. You know, with a with a loaded wolf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's 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 a hell of a petulance. Yeah, but the thing is, T- Tyrion does sort of turn it around with a bit of a joke, and they kind of bond a bit. And then when they get back to the camp, uh, Benjamin, John's uncle, um, sort of asks what what's been going on, and Tyrion responds with a bit of a joke. I think he says we got captured by Grumpkins, something yeah. like that. And John kind of smiles, and you get the feeling where. Yeah, I just again, I think it just shows another strength of Tyrion's his ability to sort of get people on side with him, even if you think there's no possible way they could. Because just just remember, um, you know, John. I suppose John doesn't know anything about the suspicions about the Lannisters, yeah. but they've never been particularly close houses, have no, they? No, not at all. Um, and you can always, you can always, you can always, always tell that. So. It's interesting that he can just win him round and get him on side. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, he, he's just, actually I've never realised this before, but we, you know we're describing Tyrion more and more and more as a sort of um, you know uh, born politician. And I just realised mm. they've managed to make somebody who's a born politician an extremely sympathetic character. Um, okay, shall we move to on to Caitlin? We will. Um, this is uh, her basically. Um, she's got basically got a bedside vigil going on with Bran now. Mm. Um, she just she's inconsolable. She she's desperate not to leave him for a second because she worries that he might wake up and, and need her. Mm. And she's just letting everything else just go to the wall. Um, she's I suppose not a great phrase. <laughs> you can literally send things to the wall. She's, <laughs> she's, she's the whole, she's the whole castle. Letting everything else go to pops, shit. Pops, pans, everything. She's <laughs> yeah. she sent everything to the wall. It's like that scene in um... the Night's Watch. Are loving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah, look at all this equipment. <laughs> look at this. Look at this. Hey, lads. Look, silk tapestry. A hey, toilet paper. Anyone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So she, she's not. She's not interested in any sort of affairs in the um, in the castle. She's got to. Uh, she's supposed to be sorting out. Um, Appointments because lots of people have headed off south with uh, with Ned and she's not interested in that. And it's it's good. The strength of the book is that you can actually, uh, as you're reading it, see her um, mind sort of or her uh, concentration wavering. Whenever anyone asks her something which isn't to do with Bran, she considers it for a minute, and before you know it, again her thoughts have gone back to Bran, and she's just ignoring what whoever else is in the room. And I quite liked that. It, it really painted a picture of a, a mother who's just just can't think of anything else other than um you know the welfare of her sick child yeah 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 absolutely and <laughs> and yeah well it's well sketched isn't it it's a, a mother struggling yeah 
Um, now, uh, it, show, it shows that it, with this, uh, with uh, Caitlin not really doing what she needs to do, Rob's kind of stepping up to the plate, the eldest son, and he's sort of taking on more of the responsibility now. Um, but there's still this element of him being quite a quite immature and settling into the role. And there's this the the, the big action part of this chapter is the, an attack, basically an, an assassination attempt. Somebody arrives with a knife and tries to kill Bran, yeah. and the only person who's there, obviously, is his mother. Yeah. And she manages, with the help of Bran's direwolf, yeah. manages to to protect him, but not before she's. Inju- horribly injured yeah, it's gruesome, and it, yeah and the interesting thing is when she comes round um, she kind of c- comes to her senses a bit with the um, with what she's been doing as yeah. well although Bran's still sick she decides you know she's got to step up and and um, give the support to Rob and to to the rest yeah. of the castle as well she's, she remembers her other responsibilities yeah. so it's almost like a, a big shock to the system which sort of jolts her out of this stupor that she's ended well, in. Well, I also think it's, it's about confronting your fear, isn't it? Like, in a sense, she's mm. there because she's, you know, one of the things that's going on in her head is who's done this to my boy and will they try and do it again? Um, mm. and, and, then, and then, lo and behold, somebody comes in with a big knife and tries to finish him off. At which point, you, you can yeah. kind of, as well as, you know, apart from the fact that, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the injury she suffers is just horrible because it's, it's like a yeah. blade slicing almost straight through her hand. She just grasps this really sharp, like, fucking horrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, at least she doesn't have to worry about it anymore. You know, it's happened. So to an extent, mm. she you know kind of moves into a different sort of phase. Yeah. Um, there's this re- when she does come round. Uh, she she decides to reveal to Rob and to uh, Theon, who's um, another character who's based up in Winterfell, and a couple of other people. I think they, they got the, the actual master of arms, Sir Roderick, um, and the, the maester, Lumwin, so the, the sort of academic guy, mm-hmm. about this plot, um, this belief that John Arryn was killed and that Bran was pushed from, a win- from the window rather than, f- rather than the sort of general belief that he fell and that the Lannisters are to blame. Yeah. And... I quite lo- I love the a little passage here with with Rob because Rob, as I've said, has, has been stepping up and he's been making appointments and he's he's becoming this leader. But he also shows this sort of immaturity where, when he hears about what may have happened to his brother, he sort of draws his sword in the bedroom, <laughs> and and is like, right, you know, the Lannisters are going to pay for it. And uh, Sir Roderick, the Master of Arms, just bollocks it he's <laughs> like put your sword away you only ever get it out when you're actually going to use it um and it's just he absolutely slaps yeah. him down and it's it's great because it just shows that there's this there's two things at once rob at this stage he's a he, he's he's almost he's acting as a as a leader of this whole castle he's the guy in charge now but he's also a a teenager just learning yeah. how to yeah. do it and and there's, I mean, again, I think there's something. There's actually something really, really quite lovely in that, in a way. In that, like, he's he has these other parent figures who aren't going yeah. anywhere and who are utterly devoted to his becoming as much as he can be, you know, and kind mm. of don't want him to make stupid mistakes, like, for example, pulling his sword out and going run around the castle and just find the next person that he wants to kill. 
I mean, that, that, that reaction, whilst understandable, is the equivalent. And I think, I think you know, this is like as many scenes in this, you, you kind of see the underlying ludicrousness of what some characters are doing if you replace a sword with a gun. Because this, this is like a 15-year-old yeah. kid, like something bad happens to his younger brother, and he just, in the bedroom, pulls out a Glock and starts firing it into the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. well, well done, and that's achieved what exactly? Part of them need to redecorate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the kind of thing that, um, yeah, it's almost instinctive yeah. that you think, oh, this is this is the point where I'm supposed to fight someone off, and then you realise that there's actually <laughs> yeah. nobody physically yeah, exactly. there at the moment. Even though there's fighting, a threat, genius. there's no one physically there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's have a look. let's move over to Sansa. Mm. Um, a chapter about Sansa. Um, and we get a bit, again, another relationship explored between her and her sister, mm-hmm. Aya, um, and how Sansa is this uh, little perfect uh, in in terms of what is expected of, of her. Oh, aristocratic good ladies. as gold and does everything she's told. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but, I mean, because we, we've only ever seen her from Aya's point of view, really, so far. So this is quite nice, it's because we, we get into her head a bit, and you can see um, things from her point of view, I suppose. Um, although the descriptions of Aya is great, because all this time, while they're on the King's Road, on the way to King's Landing, Sansa sort of stays in the, in the, uh, the cabin of the carriage, and she sort of lives for these little meetings with the Queen and with the Princess... Yeah. And doesn't even want to look out of the window, yeah. where whereas her sister is just sort of tearing around <laughs> the swamp, smearing mud on her on her to to, to uh, sort of recover from bites and discovering different lizards <laughs> and uh, things that are hiding around. And she's 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 messing around with this uh, like butcher's boy who's like another bit of a tearaway. Yeah. And uh, it's it's great. The contrast is great. It is. Isn't it? it absolutely is. Um... And I do love, I do love that that uh, Arya basically has her boy's own adventure, you know, <laughs> you know, um, and it's just it's, it's it is great. I mean, because there's there's there is a sense of like carefree innocence, which is not something yeah. that that A Song of Ice and Fire trades in very large quantities. <laughs> innocence and joy, yeah. um, but there is this, you know, she's having a fucking time of her life. It's the, you know, the holiday of a lifetime sort of thing. And I think, you know, um, yeah. I think if we're lucky, you know, each of us has had one of those at some point during our adolescence or our childhood. Just like you go on holiday and mm. just from start to end, it's like you do new stuff and you meet new people and you have an incredible time. Yeah, and there's and there's there's great yeah. image of that. And then it's contrasted with Sansa, and Sansa actually, like, she's much, she's much more of a bitch in the book than she is in the TV series. She's much more of an unpleasant, mm. sneery, condescending, and stupid character in the book than she is in the TV series. I mean, you've got limited time to bring that stuff out in the TV series, I suppose. But you know, in the TV mm. series, I was kind of well, you know, she's a kid, says some you know insensitive and stupid things, but. You know, is is neutral at worst. Whereas, whereas yeah. in the book, she's just horrible. She's just awful to her sister, and, and you know, kind of, and almost willfully blind to the kind of the idiocy that she's being handed. As like, I I I don't feel quite as strongly about that. I think she's she. I don't think there's any malice in her, and I I also think that mm. she's just kind of she's her attitude towards her sister is a mixture of just. 
um, yeah, anger because she can sometimes ruin some of the things that have been that have been carefully set up set up for Sansa to do, and she's always ever so worried about appearances yeah. as she's been taught. I uh, suppose that's and right, yeah. she. And also, just she just can't understand what she's like. She can't understand her exist, the eyes' existence, yeah. really, or just how she is as she is, because it just doesn't tally up with anything she's been taught. And um, she, I don't think she can quite understand how someone can be so badly behaved. <laughs> and 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 she even says, doesn't she, that she um, she was remembered asking uh, her mum if uh, did not like made some mistake, and I is actually you know not part of the family uh, and someone yeah, yeah. might run off with a real sister <laughs> <laughs> but I, that's interesting that you kind of interpret that as being like she's a victim of her lessons and i'm interpreting that yeah. as like she's just really stupid because i would you know certainly in comparison to the rest of her siblings like you know pennies yeah. drop through wet cement quicker than they drop for sansa at some points because she, well, because she's I, no, so I, stuck in this particular mindset. Whereas, so I find it really hard to believe that somebody could be as sharp as Arya, or as, as kind of resourceful as John, or as strong mm. as Rob, and and then and then Sansa's thing has just been to be told a certain way of doing things, and then just be like, well, clearly that's correct, despite all the evidence to the contrary in amongst my own siblings. <laughs> the only possible explanation yeah. is not that but, I'm wrong or that the lessons might need to be questioned, but in fact that my siblings are not my siblings. I I would say to that, though, that um, Sansa's more a victim of circumstance because I think there's a very, very clear parallel between her and Rob insofar as they've both, as the eldest children, been told how to... Obviously, oh. the focus of the lessons have been done to... They've been told how to act, and they've just... Because Rob isn't a great... Isn't, hasn't, doesn't come across as a particularly great thing. <laughs> Actually, that's they true. just <laughs> They just... Yeah, they, they just do... They've just been doing what they've been told yeah. to do and living up to what they've been told to do. And it just so happens that what Rob's been told to do is become this kick-ass leader of yeah. men. And what Sansa's been told to do is become this demure lady figure. Yeah. And... I don't know. I, I, I have more sympathy for her because I just think it's just in the same way. It's funny how uh, I mean a lot of people warm to Rob yeah. and not to Sansa, whereas they're both pretty much doing the same thing as far as how much they think for themselves. Yeah. Um, although I would say that I think Sansa doesn't like... So they might both be, you know, quite, you know, not terribly original thinkers. Um, but... Mm. Rob emulates Ned and Ned is quite a yeah. complicated thinker and, and you know clearly doesn't take life without thinking about it and you know we see him always goes to the God's word after he takes a life and you know there's this sense of kind of humility in the man which I think later on yeah. we see kind of echoed in in what Rob does whereas Sansa mm. if the example that she's drawing from is supposed to be Caitlin who's this like passionate but canny operator, you know, would give herself yeah. up for the people that she loves in a heartbeat. Um, you know, family is amongst mm. her highest priorities, but she knows which way the wind's blowing and she, you know, tries to find a way to navigate that for the good of her whole family. Yeah. Whereas Sansa's just, you know, ready from moment one to sell out to anybody who might make her feel more like a princess. And I, so I think there's a huge mm. difference there because Rob follows Ned, whereas Sansa's kind of like the anti-Caitlin. Mm. 
you know she's just not yeah. she's just not smart at all and worse than that she's she's yeah. smart and, and and in a sense disloyal um uh yeah. you know in terms of how you know how she how certainly how she treats Arya a little bit later on I think in this section yeah um I think that she's um I think she's much more... I think Sansa's much more like her dad than her mum, insofar as... Yeah. I think you're right about Ned being quite complicated, but I think all three, Rob, Sansa and Ned, <clears throat> and we'll see this as we go forward, um, have rules and follow... and have been given rules and follow them to a fault. And the big character flaws for all three of them, I, I think, in a sort of broad perspective, is the fact that they they struggle to break out of that of those rules and of their code of conduct which they Ooh. either have been set for themselves or that's you know very has been very insightful i hadn't thought of that at all um but yeah i think i think there is you're right about the the fact that she does get a sansa is I suppose she, she does get sort of wrapped up in this whole idea of being a princess yeah. as well um i mean i suppose in a similar way to rob gets let's it run away with him a bit oh, yeah. um, when he becomes a military commander. You know, he gets wrapped and up in that. Pop, pops a couple um, and of caps into the a... ceiling just in order to make a point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, like you know, they, 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 they're really well drawn. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, and, and I think that's worth saying as well is that we've managed to have what you, we, we've done five minutes on two characters and their parallels and mm-hmm. how you can see their parents interacting with them as. Well. This, if nothing else, is astonishingly well written. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's move towards the sort of big, the big part of this chapter is where Sansa and Joffrey are um, going for a, a wander. They're actually they're actually on horseback. This actually one of the things that the big differences between the book and the film. Um, horses the people are on horseback yeah, all the time yeah. in the book, and when it comes to the film, they've all been like, um, yeah, let's let's. The horsefire. Tell you what, let's because lose it's going to be a pain to shoot, <laughs> and I'm not sure if everyone can ride. Yeah, but they, so they um, they're off um, together, and they come across Aya and and Micah, who who are having like a, a practice sword This fight. is Micah the butcher's boy, and yeah, yeah I, I, I really I really like. I mean, Micah is my um, minor character of the week oh, actually, um, because I, I really like how he's um, how he's drawn in the book. In the in the in the series, is just this ginger kid who is a bit sort of just ends up getting killed very quickly, and you don't really know much yeah. about him. But he's in the book. He strikes me as very similar to Arya. He's a he's a bit of a tear away himself. They're both kindred spirits insofar as they they just run off and do what they want. And I can imagine his his parents are equally sort of just flummoxed with how to deal with him. Yeah. And um, but but the thing is. As soon as uh, there's this confrontation with Joffrey, and it just cha- he just changes to complete is just it's just complete submission to Joffrey, yeah. but he still ends up being killed. And this is what I thought was right, really interesting about this. Basically, what happens in the scene is um, Joffrey decides to have a bit of fun with Micah, threatens him with Qu- a real quote, sword. Quote fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, and Arya steps in and. Between her and uh, her, her wolf end up attacking Joffrey, mm. but the, the but the the result of it at the end of our part of the book today is that Micah is killed yeah. for, um, for for you know effectively attacking the prince, 
And I think in, in most stereotypical tellings of this story, what would happen is that um, the this bit tearaway kid of low rank gets a bit carried away and just tries to defend his friend and lashes out at Joffrey and then the full weight of sort of society comes yeah, down yeah. and it ends up doing for him. But the thing is with this, he's just completely submissive. Yeah. He just he, he couldn't do he couldn't do anything anything yeah. more to try and to, to, to try and show that Jeff, you know I don't Joffrey's have any power, the boss. You're the Joffrey's one the power. boss. Joffrey's the boss. But but still that doesn't save yeah. him and it's just a really powerful comment on how this society yeah. works. Well and I think maybe there's something here about like kingship and leadership as well where like mm. Because there's a contract, isn't there, between between like a king and his subjects, which is that the king gets all the security, all the gold, all the women, all the status, all the happy, fun times. And when somebody defers yeah. to him, what he does is graciously accept that deference as his due, yeah. and 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 kind of you know say you know this, this whole this whole idea of status in life and and so on, you know, kind of has obligations and that. A good king goes, good, you have deferred to me, now go on your way. A bad king, like Joffrey, is just obsessed with what his power gives him the ability to do over others, how it makes him special, and he's very inward-looking, yeah. and, and pulls shit like this. And and I think we can see, mm. like, in history, when you get, like, bad kings are almost always the kind of pompous, up themselves, never had anybody say no to them, little pricks, who eventually yeah. end up causing things like the Peasants' Result with Watt Tyler and uh, and various mm. uprisings sort of throughout history, particularly in the medieval period in England, where, where yeah. a, you know, a whole bunch of people are like, so hang on, this isn't the deal. I bow and scrape and doff my cap to you and you fucking keep me safe and you make sure I'm fucking fed. Yeah. You know, and that's the yeah. deal and it's patronage. Whereas... Whereas yeah. when you get a king who pulls the sort of shit that Joffrey pulls here, you know, you kind of your social cohesion is not long for this world because eventually people will be like, oh, mm. "What's fucking in it for me?" Then there's more of us than there are of you. So why am I doing this again? Yeah, yeah. There's this sort of um, uh, pact, isn't the unspoken pact between the the king and the subjects, yeah. where there's this protection and this this at least some kind of empathy. And it's just non-existent with Joffrey. Yeah, the one, he's the a proper that... psychopath, isn't he, Joffrey? Like, he just lacks yeah. the bit of his head where he imagines other people to be anything, you know, imagines other people to be anything like him. Yeah. And the, the line that really sums it up for me, is, it's actually, it's in the series, it's not in the book, and I didn't notice this until I reread it, but it's the, it's the moment in the series where... <clears throat> um, Mike sort of drops his sword and he responds by saying, sorry, my lord. And his, his, Joffrey's response is just utter fury and, and menace. He just says, I'm your king, not your lord. Yeah. And and it's that sort of anger at the fact that he got, he's got his title yeah. wrong and that, that complete disconnect yeah. and the fact that this guy's doing everything he can to, to, to try and defer, show deference. Yeah. And, and, he, and it's just the fact that he's not got the correct words is, is, is a massive cause of even more offence and, and almost sends Joffrey into this fury. Yeah. Um, it just shows this complete disconnect between how um, Joffrey's been raised and sort of or how he's developed and anybody else around him who doesn't automatically yeah. know or consider 
you know, worth thinking. Yeah, about. and it, and it's almost like the 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 purest possible expression of a bully mindset as well, isn't it? Like, I don't know if you yeah. you ever had the pleasure of dealing with kids like this when you were a kid, but the sort of kids who were going to punch you no matter what, but would try and you know yeah, try and yeah, get yeah. you to say the right thing anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like that sort of that mindset where it's like, you know, pulling legs off flies, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, you're right. He's, he's a guy looking for a exactly. fight, isn't he? And, and, like, and so what's going on in his head? Like, I still, you know, I'm, you know, spent a long time thinking about this book and working out the characters and that. Like, I still can't work out what's going on in Joffrey's head such that he's like, mm-hmm. it's the most important thing in the universe is that I get to be more powerful than everybody else. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, like, why is that of the most spectacular importance? And I can't really get to the heart of it. Mm. And I suppose that's because he's supposed to be a character who's fundamentally insane. You know, like, you know, he's yeah. he's supposed to be like the like the Targaryens. You know, um, he's supposed to be. Yeah, I think one of these characters who the gods just flipped a coin and it came down on the wrong side for this one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, so he's well sketched in that sense, but I just I, st- I can't get my head around it at all. Like that that you know, because yeah. it's not like he's been mistreated as a child. He's, he's not been beaten by whoever. You know, he's been absolutely mollycoddled, yeah. and it's turned him into a monster. Okay, let's move on to the final chapter for today. This is another Ned one. Um, oh, I suppose we should just round that off by saying um, Arya and yeah, and her wolf get the better of um, Joffrey. He ends up getting bitten by the wolf on his yeah. arm and she chucks his sword into the river and runs off yeah. Arya and Sansa's sort of left picking up the pieces of what was supposed a to be a romantic walk in the park <laughs> a romantic <laughs> afternoon um, it all, it, so, so we get to this point you, the date went very very well up until the time where he met somebody of a lower social status now Joffrey <laughs> struggles with that sort of thing a little bit I love him but yeah so killed him and uh Put damper on things after that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How was the date, Sansa? Well, um, the moment he got savaged by a wolf, that was a, that <laughs> was a low that, point. That was definitely a low point. <laughs> Frankly, I would have wanted him to show a bit more animal skills there. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Next up. <laughs> Let's go to Ned. Um, okay, so so it turns out that um, in the, from this chapter, we find out that I has been missing for a few days mm. now. She she just disappears for days, and they finally find her, and she's brought before mm. the king, which is quite a extreme um, thing yeah. to happen. And uh, and Ned ends up racing back to the the holdfast where they are to sort of find her, and she's basically in a in this in this room in front of the king and the whole royal retinue, surrounded by Lannister guards. And you really get this more so than even in the series when you see this from Ned's point of view. He's looking around the room, weighing up, you know, who's friendly and who's not here and which way is it going to go. And it's basically Robert, a few of his retinue who you can't, who he can't really work out whether they would be on the side or not. And then just a load of Lannisters who are just spoiling for a fight. And you, and you, I, I really got a sense here of how, just how bad it's got with the king. How utterly reliant he is on the Lannisters, yeah. and how just how difficult a situation Ned's walking that's into. That's really. Sm- Do you know what? I'm an idiot. I didn't get that at all. But of course, that's what this scene is about. I was just so invested in the whole nonsense about 
you know, Sansa and Arya and Joffrey and the wolves and the butcher's boy and the rest. I was <laughs> yeah. in that. And I, t- I absolutely hadn't clocked that what this is really about is showing showing how the king, even in matters of, ex- of, of astonishingly minimal importance, do you know what I mean? Disciplining yeah. kids. Um, yeah. Nothing like matters of state. How even in matters like that, he's entirely surrounded and doesn't get to have his own way. Yeah. And it's you do you do really fear for Ned here as well. You're thinking, you just what is he getting himself into yeah. here? Um, you've had this sense of foreboding already. And you just slowly, I mean, we find out more when we get to King's Landing, but you're just slowly peeling back those layers and, and seeing just how just how bad it is yeah. down here. And this is why Robert's ended up coming all the way north to make this desperate yeah. plea to get somebody he can trust down there. Yeah. Um, in the end of this, the, the, the king is, is forced to, I mean, he, he, he draws the line with Arya. He won't punish her. Um, he just tells Ned to deal with her himself. Um, but the queen um, says, what about the, the wolves? And he basically appeases her by um, telling like Ned to killing kill somebody else's uh, Sansa's wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, lady, yeah. which is a uh, yeah, which is pretty grim, and Ned decides to do it yeah. himself, and um, goes out and does the deed. Obviously, Sansa's dead upset, and then on his way back, he meets the the Hound, who's this massive sort of almost human guard dog yeah. for Joffrey, and he's he's it turns out he's ridden down Micah and, and killed him, yeah. and um, this this line, which I thought was great in the series, and is great in the book, where he just says a. Uh, um, he ran not very fast, and it's so yeah. depressing. <laughs> yeah, and and it's just the, it's and this is going to become a Game of Thrones stock in trade, I think. Um, it's the sort of gets you all invested in 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 a, in a kind of character situation, and then just like slices a sword through it, and and it you know it's mm. it's a fantastic example of of the, you know the kind of casual brutality of the age. And how, if you were a butcher's boy, there really wasn't mm. anything apart from happenstance between you and being killed by the king just because he feels like it. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's very yeah, yeah, it's troubling. I tell you what, I also thought was interesting was the parallel between um, uh, Ned saying in the last bit that you know if you pass a sentence, then you have to carry it out. And Robert just sort of chucking mm. this sentence of death over his shoulder, you know, albeit to a wolf, right? Albeit to a pet. But yeah. still, you know, just sort of casually, like, just kill the fucking wolf, you know, and walks off. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and and leaving Ed to do the thing. And you can, you can absolutely see um, the sort of... There's a little seed there of the disappointment that Ned feels towards Robert of, like... You know, mm. you're my king, and I'm going to do what you command me to do. But what you've just told, what you've just done, is for me beneath the dignity of anybody worthy of being a leader. And uh, mm. and you know, you can, you know, you have a you have a sense in that of of just nothing's going right for Ned. Nothing at all. You know, he's 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 obliged mm. to go and work in a place he despises for a man he no longer respects, but must, but wishes he could. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so that that brings us to the end of the uh, of, of this this episode. There it is. Um, if you're reading with us next week, 
We're going to read up to Dave. You told me which what, what it was, and I've forgotten already. <laughs> what is it? Hang on, let me turn it's it on. page page two four one. So, that, so the the chapter beginning. Um, well, if you read up to page two four one, which means you stop once you get to an Eddard chapter, which begins Lord Arryn's death. <laughs> <laughs> I just stopped myself there. Is I was it a spoiler? It was a spoiler no, but no, not no, no, it's dead. the substance of the plot. That's fine. <laughs> 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 yeah. So if you read up to the the chapter with Eddard, which begins, let me do the line. Lord Arryn's death was a great sadness for all of us. If you read up to that bit for next week, and uh, and we will cover, we will cover yeah. that as it comes round. Any final thoughts for this? this well, section? actually, I wanted to read out um, an email that we've got from um, from somebody who has listened and liked. Yeah, we've um, we've got an email here from um, from Cindy who uh, listened to part one. So I suppose we should apologise that uh, tech problems have prevented part two from coming out um, <laughs> for a little while. Cracky, yeah. um, but thanks very very much for emailing. She's got she's got a lot of thoughts on the first bit actually. But um, the thing that the thing that okay. I want to pull out is that um, uh, because it corroborates everything that I've been saying. <clears throat> um, this uh, she she also hates Joffrey. Um, so I uh, totally agree with the likening of Joffrey to Malfoy. Um, I was trying to think how I would describe <laughs> the TV Joffrey, and and that's exactly it. And then, she, but then then I think she goes one better than describing him as Malfoy because then she goes sissy and pissy. I would say, <laughs> I think that's amazing. I think I'm just going to refer to Joffrey as old sissy and pissy over there. Um, and then she said, I, I do, however, like to hate the Joffrey in the book much better. He seems much more worthy of my malevolent thoughts and has much more substance and therefore mm. more of him to hate. The TV Joffrey just makes you want to ignore him yeah. rather than suck me into really hating him with very much emotional investment. Um, and I think that draws yeah. out something that we've been saying, isn't it? Is that the book, like for all that the TV series is a masterpiece in its kind of, in its form, like the book is, the mm. it's, the book just has everything that it wants to have. It has all these little elements and little shades and stuff and all these all these different ways of talking about characters that that turn them into much more sort of three dimensional um or four eight dimensional, I don't know. Many, many dimension multi dimensional um characters than yeah. you can really get away with doing um in a TV series. Well no, I was point. just gonna say she also says something which I think is quite brilliant and maybe we should do like a uh we should do a, a, a shark liver oil road trip or something. Because do you know, you know how it says that Winterfell basically has central heating, and it's got like hot springs that are shot yeah. up through the walls in the of the castle and keep it warm all the time. Brilliantly, yeah. Um, how she came across this, I don't know. But she says, "I found a hotel in Colorado that uses hot springs for heating, like Winterfell." <laughs> Seriously, no. there's a place though I haven't looked at the website, which gives me the website. Some box canyon com. So that oh, please, please tell me it's I, a castle. Really, how many castles do you think there are in Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> that might be a step too far. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the only castle in America is the the, the castle in Magic That's Kingdom. true, and that's made out of purple plastic, as we know. Uh, Americans, I'm thankful that yours is a civilization that's come up with uh, a hot spring heated hotel. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so um, so thanks for that, Cindy. That is um, that is insightful and also hilarious. Yeah, yeah, good point. I think the the, the Joffrey stuff as well. Definitely, you get a bit of extra text you don't you in the book, 
And um, there are little bits from his sort of earlier childhood as well, which get pulled out later on, may even be in later books, which again give you this feeling for just what a nasty piece yeah. of work he is. And this this level of insanity, which they do much more graphically yeah. in the series. But um, yeah, yeah, he's, a, he's quite a complex mm. character. Bang on. Right, well, let's... Uh, I mean, we're running quite long now, so let's wrap it up. Hopefully, I mean, definitely, the next one won't, there won't be quite as yeah. much of a gap. Uh, we had a bit of a... We had a few technical issues basically involved because I moved house to somewhere so far in the countryside that I couldn't get any internet for ages. But we're okay All now. Is well. All is <laughs> we're well. back. Um, yeah. Um, so we, we will have another cast up um, starting yeah, next week, yeah. I'd imagine. Bang on. And yeah, if you're reading along, get over to that Read As Far As page 2, 4. As if, as if anyone reading along with us hasn't just torn through <laughs> the entire book. You That's can't really true. put it down, can you? That's very true. But we, we may as well yeah. say it anyway, uh, you know, page 241 if you if, if you are stopping and starting your yeah. way along with us. And uh, yeah, we will, uh, we'll, we will kick on next week. Bosh. Bosh.